Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Half Hour with Astra Theatre Company. I am here today with an amazing artist, someone that I have been lucky enough to work with and see their work about town. You know her, you love her, Brie Patterson. Oh hey, how's it going? What's up Brie, how you been? Uh, I've been in a weird place. Uh, <laughs> uh, quarantine has been... Uh, very fascinating time of a lot of things for a lot of people so um i'm okay i'm alive that's all that matters um i'm i'm sort of thriving as much as i can uh (laughs) but um but yeah how have you been taylor i've been good i i I agree with you it's been a very strange time um i've been i've been talking about this with everyone but i've you know trying to um find a solace and comfort and stillness and being able to sit in it a little bit, mm-hmm. which is something that I am traditionally not very good at. Um, I, I do like to be, you know, always working on something. And when you're forced to sit for a second, or in this case, many months, um, mm-hmm. especially without having access to really do the thing that you do and are good at, um, it's been interesting. It, I've definitely like shifted my priorities a little bit and it's like mm-hmm. illuminated some stuff that is important to me that I want to like let shine through in my art a little bit more once, you know, we're allowed to gather in groups again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm safe. I'm healthy and I'm very thankful for that and being able to spend time with my family. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's been great. Um, so Brie, tell us about yourself. Are you, are you born and raised KC? Yeah, uh, so I was born and raised in the Kansas City area, specifically uh, Liberty, which is a suburb of Kansas City. And um, I haven't been any, like I haven't lived anywhere else. Uh, So just seeing the city like uh, go through like an evolution, like it has been is very fascinating because when I lived in Liberty, it was just this very tight bubble. and I, did, I went to the city when I was little, but like my family was always like, no, we have to stay in Liberty. The city is where it's dangerous and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay. Um, Please, so the I most dangerous thing about the city is like $13 martinis. I mean, right. <laughs> honestly, like, um, yeah. so I was like, I was like, okay, whatever. So I didn't really get into the city until I got out of college honestly Mm -hmm. um and that was when I started like doing theater downtown and I started uh kind of getting traction with that but um but when you were growing up when did you like did you have a moment where you were like "Ooh, like this is for me like (laughs) what like uh when did you get bit by the bug or was there like a an episode or a cartoon or like an actor or actress Mm -hmm. that you were like oh shit, like this is for me, I love this. So, okay, being born and raised in Liberty, there's some racist ass people there, obviously. Um, As there are everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) And like, um, so I always got the comment when I was younger that, you know, I had a really good speaking voice uh, for my age. And like, I was, you know, I'm the kind of person where, you know, self-esteem issues. "Ah." I was like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. Um, But then I got compared to Oprah, of course, whatever. (laughs) And so every day after school, I would go uh, to my grandma's because she was right down the street from my elementary school and she'd be watching Oprah. And like, the more and more I watched her, I was like, oh, wow, I want to be just like her when I grow up, blah, 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 blah. Great. 
Um, and so when I hit middle school, when I could actually do theater as like a recreational activity, I uh, started getting into drama classes and I was in every single show. And I kid you not, like from sixth grade to probably March of this year, I have been in shows constantly, like yeah. just nonstop. So you're a busy um, bee for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize how burnt out I was until I sat down in this and yeah. I was doing nothing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been going nonstop. Like I've never had a break before. For years. <laughs> yeah, for years. <laughs> for literal years. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been a good time to recharge, I think, for most folks. And like I said, identify your priorities and, and how mm-hmm. art fits into that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely been trying to do some of that myself. Um, So when did you decide that like this might be something you want to study further or like Mm -hmm. something that could be a viable career option for you or you know? I think it was in high school. Um, I didn't really hit my moment until like my junior year in high school. Um, But I I had, like I said, I had been doing it since middle school and then high school just kind of becomes different and it's like, oh, you have to start thinking about the rest of your life kind of thing and your Mm. career options. And I was like, you know what? I like this a lot and, you know, I feel the closest to myself in this. Mm. So I just decided then that, you know, this was something that I wanted to do as a profession and um, go to school for and things like that. Um, So yeah, it was either that or it was either performing or I was going to be a theater teacher, but then I realized very quickly that I don't have patience to be a theater teacher. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick to performing. Like, it's fine. <laughs> but isn't that what makes a good, like, teacher, especially in the arts, is someone who's like, I have no patience. You're all loud. Like, <laughs> you all right, need now, far too much attention. Honestly, and, like, now I'm just sitting here and I'm like, oh, wow, I should have went with the more, you know, practical option <laughs> i don't think so i mean not that i don't think you could be a great teacher but i don't know i i know that people do perform and teach at the same time but you're such a gifted performer and artist not that you couldn't also be a teacher but you know <laughs> i don't think you should be doing any second guessing about your the path you're on because i think it's pretty cool um so where do you like where do you find yourself at now in your career and like Um, what are some goals that you have for yourself or also like the industry at large right now? I did like a 180 during this quarantine because I'm not even doing anything theater uh, related right now when Mm. it comes to creation. Um, I'm actually doing a lot of TTRPG and like Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Cool, and, like, very cool. Yeah. And but like, there's still I, acting and creativity involved is. in that, you know? Yeah. So, like, I did that. At, well, I am doing that. I'm doing a lot of streaming and things like that. Um, I'm getting paid for a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. So, it's like professional work. And then uh, I did like virtual LARP uh, at the beginning of the quarantine. Um, and I think I like it so much because it's still a root in theater and it's still acting, it's still performing and it's still telling stories and that's mm-hmm. all I care about. Um, but uh, I don't know, like having gone into this certain profession now, I kind of see that it's surprising because I've had more success in this field than I did with performance. And I'm still trying to figure out why. Um, 
and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, the, I guess the thought process behind that, but I don't know. I just feel a lot more at peace doing, you know, streaming and, uh, live action role play, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and I think it's because <clears throat> it doesn't have as many like limitations as uh, live theater does. Sure. And, and even the yeah. people you're able to reach audience wise and mm-hmm. interacting with on like an artist level is much broader because yeah. it's the internet, you know? Right. And like not a lot of people go to, you know, live theater shows and it's, it's a certain culture that not a lot of people want to you know, participate in, which is fine. Yes. Um, Can we dive into that and why you think that is? This is something that I'm very interested in is as someone, I mean, uh, you and I both love theater, are good at it, studied it. It's Mm -hmm. it's what we like to do. Mm -hmm. Why is it such a niche culture? Well, I mean, when you look at it, it's, it was founded on the base of white American theater. So white American theater is like this tunnel and it's this small needle hole of like inclusion and I think it stems from that and because of that people are still having a hard time breaking out of it because I mean with theater it's it's like the the most audience that I see in theater are rich white middle-aged or older people and that permeates not even just regional theater here but all the way up to professional touring shows the Broadway Mm -hmm. touring shows and Broadway Mm -hmm. And not to say that, you know, people of color go out and do these things because they absolutely do. It's just, you know, theater at one point became something that was classist and and it became something that was very elitist for a lot of people. Hmm. If you weren't at the theater, then you don't have any culture, essentially. So it was like, um, it was like founded on the base of, you know, this is a white art that's that's all we're sticking with mm. and theater is still trying to break out of it and we're making progress we are and we have shifted the tide of theater in a lot of ways and i believe that we're on this like new modern renaissance that's going on but we still have a long ways to go there's still issues there's still toxicities there's still um problems there's still a lot of things and having now thought about that, you know, it's kind of turned me off to theater for right now. Mm. Um, Like, I don't know what my future in theater is going to be after this. Um, Then again, I don't know what the future of theater is going to be for anybody. Right. Exactly. How this, how this is going to, yeah. Like how this is going to happen and how this is going to, you know, pan out. We'll Mm -hmm. see. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's why I think it's so it's just one thing. I think it's hard because it's something I love so much, but in many places regionally, it, there is this mold and sort of like scaffolding of theater. And mm-hmm. also we should say traditionally theater is extremely expensive to make and usually does not make any money. So yeah. I think it's something that a lot of people don't know too, is that 90% of theater that's not like, Broadway or like extremely well-funded like regional theaters, um, mm-hmm. even most of the regional theaters are nonprofits. So they, yeah. except for Broadway, no one's getting a return. There's no like producer who's like putting down mm-hmm. money and is getting money back. It is all technically community-based work because it was, it, um, it, a lot of the money that supports it is from like grants and government funding. Right which to mm-hmm. me is an interesting thing that's like, okay, this is supposed to be for the community, 
but let's analyze the data of who actually gets to be a part of the experience that we create, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are things that could deter people from going to see theater? For me, that's like money. <laughs> it's usually mm -hmm. pretty expensive to see shows. Mm -hmm. But there are some really awesome groups who are working to create free theater right now. Casey Public, um, mm -hmm. I think we're going to have them on in a couple of weeks, is doing amazing stuff, um, paying professional actors and uh, then creating shows in, for free. Mm -hmm. But also besides money, it's like, if you have a child and can't afford health, uh, you know, someone to come watch them while you go see the show. Right. You know, there's so many different factors of, or like, can you afford to miss a shift? Mm -hmm. You know, so many things about going to be an audience member at theater depend on you having status and money. Right. Uh, and I don't think a lot of folks really realize that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, uh, kind of with um, when we did Glass Menagerie and stuff, what I really liked about how... Yeah, sorry, really quickly, we should oh. let the, the oh. listeners know, people who don't know, um, <laughs> Brie uh, was in uh, Astra's first production, of which was the Glass Menagerie, and she played Laura Wingfield beautifully. Um, I just wanted to clue everyone in, just in case. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get to see the, the splendor that you created, but sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. Um, I, I miss that show. Like there are times <laughs> where I'm like, oh, I miss that show. Mm. Um, but uh, what I really liked about how you and the Astra team kind of did was you made it really affordable for people to come and see it. And what I really love is that um, a lot of theaters are starting to adopt the artist or the industry fee. And that's really cool because I mean, like artists should be able to see the art that they contribute to, you know? And um, something that I've always wanted to do, I, I, I don't know if this is like just an idea that I've just had and it's never gonna do, like I'm never gonna do anything with it, but like, especially with um, people of color, like specifically in Kansas City, um, like in the, in the inner city areas like Troost and Paseo and um, places like that, mm. is just making a night where it's completely free and people can like come in and see a show and things like that. Um, that's something that a lot of theater companies don't really think about. They yeah. think about the artists, which, you know, are still higher than a lot of the population of Kansas City, but they don't think past that because, I mean, they've never had to worry about right. anything past that. Right. Um, so I don't even know where I was going with this. That's okay. No, it's great. And I would say as a, as a creator, as a white creator right now and in the midst of the uh, reignition of the Black Lives Matter movement, I mm -hmm. have been trying to ask myself the tough questions of who gets to see the work you make and what allows them to see that work and what does, you know, what does the work mean? Mm -hmm. What does, what is the biggest and most, uh, what's the biggest net of inclusion and diversity? What does that look like on every level from the board to right. the artistic team to the mm -hmm. people in the play to the people that get to see it you know mm -hmm. and Either, yeah um especially having like started working with like different companies and really learning how the entertainment industry works when it comes to like streaming and stuff like that i've kind of made a rule for myself that you know if i look if i look at a company and i see nothing but white people and I don't see myself behind the table, then I'm not going to give my work to them because 
most of the time, usually, especially when I'm like in streaming and stuff, um, most of the time when I'm asked to do streams, it's either to fix the problem that they have or it's to add diversity or mm. stuff like that. I'm like, it has to start behind the table. Like that is, that right. is the number one rule to see change because uh, people of color, specifically black people, are going to have different perspectives they're going to bring a lot to the table and they're going to be like hey this is wrong and that is something that you know white people are still uncomfortable saying that this is wrong and here's why i'm in the wrong yeah so yeah absolutely i'm i think it's incredibly important especially as a white creator to just allow myself to be to know that i am absolutely going to continue to make mistakes because Mm -hmm. That is the way that we are socialized <laughs> and mm-hmm. educated. Mm-hmm. So I have to get over that hurdle of um, white fragility, as Robin D'Angelo calls it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also just like as an artist and a human, it's like much more interesting for, for all of those different perspectives to be heard and meld mm-hmm. in a room artistically because that's like the real world. And to deny yeah. that is to deny a sense of honesty and equity that, you know, frankly, we, we still need, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, yes. Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Oh, I was gonna say, like, it shouldn't be. It still shouldn't be this hard to get people behind the table. And I feel like some people, uh, some companies in Kansas City, are still uh, struggling with that. And I don't see the struggle. I mean, I get that there's COVID, but I don't see why there still has to be like and like it's pulling teeth to get people of color to work for you or not even work for you but like you know train to take your place one day or you know something like that like i don't i don't get why people make it rocket science and i also think there's this thing and to speak to what the experience you were talking about when people bring you on you feel like sometimes it's to fill a quota almost Mm -hmm. and that in itself is tokenization and Mm -hmm. using just your likeness to fix a problem optically but not on a um transformative level Mm -hmm. you know on a Mm -hmm. level that will see that problem before it happens because that requires a board and people who are making those decisions to Mm -hmm. be mixed in race, age, gender, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that everyone is taken care of, you know, because that's, that's what we need, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So where do you find yourself at now in your career and what, what do you sort of hope for in the future? Um, I should you make should you grace the stage again? <laughs> uh I think so. Um right now I'm really content with how things are going um with what I'm doing and I don't know, I just feel like I said I feel more at peace with a lot of the stuff that I put out there uh because I can genuinely be myself and I can and I can say what I want to and whenever I want to. And I mean, at this point, if companies want to deny me of a job because of my opinions, then that's, you know, that's their own issues. Um, especially when it comes to human rights, but that's a different, that's a different tangent. Um, but, uh, I, I can see myself still wanting to do theater once all this is over, but I'm not sure that I'm gonna, there's, I don't know. There's just like a hesitancy that that's been created. And 
I don't know. I don't know how to put sure. it. Sure. No, um, I guess maybe a more an easier, more productive way to ask that question is what does a theater experience look like that you would want to participate in after mm. after this is over? What does it look like? Who's involved? Who does it serve? Who's mm. involved artistically? Um, what's your Barbie dream house? Uh, theaters acknowledging that they're that they've been wrong. Uh, theaters acknowledging their mistakes. Uh, people being treated equally. Um, people uh, not necessarily being thrown away because they're disposable. I don't believe in that. Uh, I've been taught from a very young age, which is very strange, being told this in high school that everyone is you know, disposable, everyone's replaceable, which yes, to a certain extent, I mean, if, if someone's on their shit, then yeah, replace them. But like, um, I feel like everyone who steps foot in the theater behind the scenes and on stage um, needs to be treated as a valuable piece of art. Um, and they contribute as much as I do if I were on the stage. Um, I need to see more of me everywhere uh, especially those people uh, and those companies that have slathered Black Lives Matter on their Facebook pages, on their Twitters, on their Instagrams, back it up. Uh, they've actually, it's interesting because um, the same theater companies that were doing that when the whole George Floyd riots were happening, they're very silent right now and they haven't really said anything else on the issue. Um, and I don't know if that's because they're working on it, which if they are, great. But I mean, yes, you can work on things in quiet, but like, I mean, at the same time, you know, understand that you do have to be outspoken when you see things happening, um, when you see actors uh, suffering at the hand of white American theater, don't be afraid to like speak up on their behalf or, you mm. know, I just need to see more proactivism, if that's a word. Um, it is now. <laughs> it is now. Um, I need to see more uh, proactivity from everyone. And In regards to, like, anti-racist work? Yeah and, yeah. and, you know, not tokenizing people. You know, there are more than three Black people in the city. And may I also add not tokenizing one show in a season and thus not casting colorfully throughout the rest Why of the season. Why are we still doing that? Like, I... Yeah. There are so many more modern playwrights out there. There are playwrights in Kansas City that have beautiful works that they've written mm -hmm. that they have been trying to get published, but like we're still, I have opinions about that too, but like <laughs> we're still like sticking to one tone and one tone only. Like um, I heard that uh, KCAT was actually doing some stuff with new works, which is really cool. Yeah, um, they have a radio play series. Um, yeah, Bree yeah. was telling us about. Um, it sounds really amazing. Yeah, it sounds really cool, and I'm glad that they are, you know, finally like taking the steps to better themselves as a theater, and you know, they aren't afraid to talk about what's, you know, what's happened in the past and everything. So I think the ingenuity coming out of this is also something I hope carries forward. I think I've talked about this a little bit, but. Um, in other episodes, but just the the way that we suddenly had to pivot and make art and, you know, mm -hmm. take it outside or take it to a cemetery or make a radio play. Mm -hmm. It's like, I hope we can realize at the end of this that like not all theater has to exist like in a proscenium mm -hmm. 
style mm-hmm. theater that costs like $60 a seat, yes. you know, how can we subsidize it, make it more accessible, take it to people who maybe need it more than like our season sponsors, you know, mm-hmm. not denying our season, season sponsors anything in terms of their culture and their upbringing and what they bring because they do. But, you know, how can we continue that um, creativity when it comes to production um, mm-hmm. and not sort of try to settle or go back to uh, the the standard before mm-hmm. before coronavirus and like uh an example is like the one thing that i really like uh that kansas city rep does is they bring inner city schools in to see uh shows at copacan whenever there's um shows there uh the last play that i worked on for casey rep was for colored girls mm. last november and there were so many kids that, you know, that reminded me of myself when I was younger. Mm. And especially in school girls too, they brought a lot of uh, inner city schools there as well. And like just talking to those kids and seeing how bright they are and like seeing how excited they are. I was like, this is what theater needs to be. Like it doesn't need to just stay in a bubble, like go to the, go to inner city schools, go to, uh, I mean, go to hospitals and like do some performances and like go to, go to uh, nursing homes and do some performances. Like it, it, it's, it's more than just the stage. So yeah. How can we like nurture our community with our art instead of just like, judging ourselves by the people who do come to see it you know right right and like and it was really cool when we got to perform at uh liberty high school it was yeah. it was weird being there for me personally but like it was just cool to kind of see it do like a full circle of this is where i started and you know this is where i am now um well so- i i also uh, can you talk about your experience when we, um, so for the listeners, well, we did a uh, performance of the Glass Menagerie at Liberty High School. And can you talk about the moment when that young woman came to talk to you? Yeah. Because I, I always, I was eavesdropping, I'll admit, but I, I will always hold, cherish that. Yeah. So she was, uh, she was a young black girl. And um, from what it looked like, I think she was probably like one of two or three in that theater department, the theater class. And she was about to play the witch in Into the Woods. And she came up to me and she talked to me and she said, wow, that was like really cool. And like one of her friends kind of dragged her over and she's like, just talk to her. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Ah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like the entire time she was just so passionate about theater and passionate about acting. And it just made me think, you know, I wish I could have had that, you know, growing up. And I wish I could have had that person that I saw on stage um and have been like wow I want to be like them they look like me and I did it was my cousin um I actually she actually went to Liberty High School and she was in Little Abner and that was like one of the first shows that I saw in high like yeah and I was like oh my god this is so cool (laughs) (laughs) a bold thing to say about Little Abner (laughs) I'm just kidding I'm just kidding um (laughs) out of all shows um but uh but yeah she came up to me and she was kind of just gushing about theater and how she but at the same time she was going to i think she was going to go to college for medicine or to be a nurse and no she was going to be a lawyer that's what it was she's like yeah i'm going to school for law because that's what my family wants me to do and i said well what do you want to do she's like i want to perform she's like i want to sing i want to uh dance i want to act specifically and i was like okay well you have some time to think, but I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of have to do what 
is going to make you happy. I mean, same thing with my family. They wanted me to be a lawyer. They wanted me to be, st- I, don't, I don't even know. Something um, with stability. Yes. Something with stability. Yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, you just have to start putting, people just have to start being more selfish. Like selfish is, has such a negative connotation to the word, but I think especially when it comes to um, cultivating what makes us happy, we have to, we have to have some selfishness. And so like I told her that, but it was just really cool to, to be a character like that in front of someone like that. um, That was very similar to me. Because if I would have saw like an, like another black person playing uh, Laura and I would have been sitting in the audience, it's like, wow, I can be more than X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. So, so, yeah. I think it's just so important to, to cast colorfully, especially in works that are so well-known and are cornerstones of the American theater, like, mm-hmm. you know, Shakespeare and like, you know, Glass Menagerie. I think we do ourselves a huge disservice to, at least personally, this is my taste, I suppose, to continue to cast them the way they have always looked because A, it's just boring and B, it's just denying, like I've said, a a whole section of people, the representation that is important to them to realize that they can play anything and we should continue Mm -hmm. to allow folks to play anything and and also consider the impact that might have on on young artists or on the artists themselves mm-hmm. to be cast in a in a role they wouldn't see themselves as or or don't didn't think they would ever be able to play because it's just always been played by someone who didn't look like them. Yeah, and, and that goes for things besides race. It goes for mm-hmm. gender and size and anything. But mm-hmm. yeah, and um, you know, having played Laura, it just kind of brought my range into focus and it it genuinely showed me where I was as a performer because for the longest time I was I was getting worried that I was like plateauing as an artist and I was like uh I haven't really felt challenged lately and that's really bad to say and I mean like schoolgirls was like really cool to do um because I mean it was all black women all local cast and like we we had such a fun time on that show but um after I guess after schoolgirls, I was just feeling a very strong plateau of, am I like, am I in the right profession? Like, mm. and then suddenly, you know, Glass Menagerie happened, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll audition. And then like, I literally forgot about my audition, and I, <laughs> 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 and I messaged you. I did not. I do remember, and if this is sharing too much, please tell me, and I'll fix it in post, and no one will ever nope. know. But I just, I do remember you at one point saying that it was, you were finding it really tough to bear the burden of representation um, Mm -hmm. in that show and as an artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I was. Yeah. It, because I was very, I don't know, like I just thought about it and I thought about the history of Laura's that has been in American theater. And, and, you, like, and you do not look like Celia Keenan Bolger. And exactly. And that and, is a lovely thing. Right. And like yeah. I I was like, oh my God, I think I'm the first. I think I'm the first, like regional uh, theater-wise, but like in history, I think I'm the first black Laura that's ever been on stage professionally at least 
and I was like oh this is a lot like this is a lot of pressure because mm. like I don't I didn't know if I was doing her service I don't know if I was doing the work service because like I mean it's been ingrained in us that she's supposed to be one thing and one thing only yep. and I even got uh I even caught wind of uh, a few audience members not liking it <laughs> not liking my performance uh which I mean whatever it's fine we got we got their money like whatever <laughs> so, like, I'll also just attack on to that the my, my one of my models I try to create by is the purpose of art is to interrupt habit Mm-hmm. so yeah. if someone was upset or feeling weird about for whatever reason the casting mm -hmm. for one second they were forced to look at this through a different lens and I count that as a win mm -hmm. and it's weird because one of the people they have been on multiple Kansas City stages well one primarily but like it just fascinates me that people like this are continuing to get jobs <laughs> like if you can't if you can't accept that you know theater is is essentially revolutionizing i mean like then why are you doing this like you have to get unstuck like that's yeah. why i can't imagine how it feels to be a boomer right now because there's so much change happening and like boomers, at such a rapid pace yeah it's such a rapid pace and like i you know boomers are probably frustrated at the fact that it's going so quickly and yeah. they can't keep up with it which is their problem but like i don't know um, Again, I think it comes down to liberating ourselves as, especially as white cisgendered men, mm -hmm. liberating ourselves from this idea that, you know, some, some part of our identity is being taken away or that we're gonna, right. people are going to say that we're wrong. But mm -hmm. the thing is, like, we are and probably will continue to make those mistakes. But to liberate yourself from that and to just listen as hard as you can and do your own research, like... Mm -hmm. I promise, listen, I promise you, it is, is much easier to live that way, to continually be open to change and open to feedback on your behavior and the way that you especially create art because, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's what we need, you know? Yeah. That's in my opinion. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, Brie, I could talk to you for days and days. Um, <laughs> you're so lovely and so, so smart. Um, well, what do you have coming up next? Um, is there anything that you can plug? Where can we find you? Um, so I have mostly gravitated towards Twitter. Um, you can find me on there, at Brito underscore. Uh, ta uh, Taylor, you actually follow me, so you see the shenanigans that I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I, and what I say. Um, it's, 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 been, it's been a crazy journey, but I'm really thankful for it. Um, you can also find me on instagram at brito i post all kinds of like makeup looks and cosplays yes. there. um so uh yeah i'm not really much on facebook anymore i kind of just deleted it and i was like eh, i don't really care you also uh, have a swag shop we should I do have a swag shop. Play. i i'm actually going to do some christmas shopping there so i'm just letting yes. you know um yeah it's on it's on pause right now because i'm going to be adding more products like just in time for like christmas and new years and things like that but uh but yeah i have a swag shop uh it's called beast merch and it's uh it's really cool and i also have patreon too if you want to like support what i do or just like be like hey i'll give you five dollars for one month i'll be like 
that's gas money. So like, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Mean. Shop local, baby. Honestly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's amazing. Well, hopefully we can catch up with you again soon. It's been yeah. so lovely to chat with you and I hope that you continue to, you know, do some creative stuff and, and feel safe and, and loved because you're so lovely. Ah, thank you. And thank you for having me on here. Oh, any damn time. We'll see you <laughs> soon, Brie, okay? All right, bye.